0: Dennis Stewart, great to be back uh, working with you again. And uh, mm. I believe you you talked about diabetes last we week. Did. We did, we the... did.
1: Very, very, very briefly though, Jane, uh, I made the passing remark to Mark that uh, I'd like to take that topic up uh, again this year and today's a good time uh, by virtue of the way in which it was mentioned uh, at the um, Australia Day celebrations when a luminary was awarded an award for his work in looking at diabetes, particularly in relationship uh, to blindness. So I thought, what a good topic to take up. Type 2 diabetes, an epidemic in this country and around the world.
0: Health naturally. Dennis Stewart, uh, diabetes, blindness, is that a very common complication of diabetes? Well, my
1: understanding of what was was said recently was that it's an accelerating aspect of diabetes. Um, Fortunately, good medical management and good dietary management and an understanding of the condition, I would like to think, is lessening that. But uh, it certainly can be seen as a cause of blindness and that's all the more encouragement uh, for people, uh, even who are borderline uh, type 2 diabetics, to start to take on board uh, some of the knowledge we have now of resisting uh, a full-on diabetic diagnosis and working against that awesome um, possibility, uh, diabetes per se is a dangerous disease, uh, whether it be type one or type two. And my comments today are mainly directed towards type two. But that's type,
0: that's the acquired one. That's isn't the acquired it? one.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and and many uh, commentators on type two would argue that it is related to civilizational, to societal factors. That it is an aspect of of modern living. Uh, and is is a byproduct, if you like, of affluence, uh, the awareness in which we can get cheap food, uh, the lack of exercise due to the sedentary lifestyle, plus perhaps some genetic factors. But all these have seen not only in this country but in most Western countries um, this wretched condition accelerating. But fortunately, as I've said on this program before, we can take some steps. Uh, to lessen the onset of this and take some steps to keep ourselves in front of the ball, so to speak, so that we can resist uh, the condition taking off. And working with our doctors and working with knowledge of the condition yourself is important to be able to triumph. That was my experience, Jane. I have a very, very good a GP um, who's actually done some studies with me and uh, he's been with our family for about 40 years and probably about seven, eight years ago, he said, uh, Dennis, he said, I'm going to have to put you on metformin. I said, what for, John? He said, you're type two. I said, don't be silly. He said, you are. I said, well, um, I'm I'm not going to go on to that. I said, okay. So I addressed it myself and did some fairly radical things and I think I've mentioned one of them before on this program, I took on board uh, the the work of a a British doctor called Terence Keeley, uh, who himself was diagnosed with type 2 as a medical practitioner, um, who uh, decided to work on his understanding of nutrition and biochemistry and decided that eating breakfast was not good if you were a type 2 diabetic. And he proved his case and wrote the book breakfast is a dangerous meal. So being a fairly radical person by nature, I decided to read the book and I put it into practice. I still work that way. Um, And I have now beaten the diagnosis and my HbA1c is absolutely normal uh, and came down from a very um, alarming, uh, I think it was about 7.8, nearly 8, now to about 6.5. And uh, my GP is, and he he jocularly uh, looks at my results and, uh, we say a few things about it. So I had to address the situation. That was only one thing, and I don't recommend it to everyone. And if anyone were to go down that pathway, it is something that really should be acknowledged uh, to the doctor, so that he can monitor any other conditions that might be have a bearing on that fairly radical. Dietary approach, which, let me emphasise, is not for everyone, but in my case worked well as a starting base. But I've got a few principles here that we should look at that anyone can take on board, Jane, to resist Mm -hmm. or work against the type 2 diabetic epidemic.
0: Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart today. And Dennis, uh, we're looking at diabetes, type Mm, 2, and we're looking at your three
1: principles. Yeah, look, there are some very good principles apart from that fairly radical thing that I spoke about, which, let me emphasise, is not for everyone. Uh, And if it is embarked on, it must only be done so under your doctor's uh, monitoring. But there are things that we can do uh, which are much more acceptable, which have been shown to work against uh, insulin resistance or type 2 diabetes. The first thing, the most important thing I suggest, is look at our weight. Uh, you and I were talking before the program, Jane about my ongoing observation that uh, observations that seemingly we're getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and bigger. now <laughs> the bigger we become uh I think the literature and medicine supports it. The bigger we become, the more likely we are to develop what's called insulin resistance and go on to develop type 2 diabetes. So in my opinion, the first thing that anyone who has been diagnosed as borderline, uh, moving towards diabetes or insulin resistant, the first thing that we have to do is address the weight factor. Anything else, in my opinion, is secondary to that. Weight kills us. Not only is uh, diabetes associated with it, but cardiovascular disease and other conditions are associated with Weight, so, if we are big in inverted commas, uh, it has to be addressed. Now, look, I have had some remarkable uh, results recommending to some of my friends and patients and clients that you don't have to spend an arm and a leg to start to lose weight. Uh, there's some very good evidence now suggesting that what that's what's called intermittent fasting. Uh, made famous, I suggest by the British doctor Michael Moseley. Who's well known on 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 uh, programs, intermittent fasting or the five two diet, as it's called, it does work, and I have evidence of that uh, in in my practice of patients that uh, were a little bit sort of all over the place when I suggested it, but people that are interested in a program that is safe, that is soundly based and that costs you nothing, you're not going out purchasing all these wonderful weight loss supplements that are out there. You are doing, if you like, semi-fasting two days of the week, essentially. You reduce your food intake quite dramatically, and that seems to reset our metabolic clock. You can get hold of the literature. My clients and patients get it off the net. So if we're concerned about getting our weight down, one of the ways is, to look at dietary changes or modification and look at least have a look at the 5-2 diet but quite apart from that there are some things that are so obvious that we can do ourselves and the first thing is and I keep emphasizing this is to see sugar in the way that uh, David Gillespie saw it in his book A Sweet Poison uh, it is it's a well observed thing now And this goes right back many, many, many years. A professor, um, I think it was David Yudkin, or John Yudkin, he was a professor Yudkin at London University. He wrote a book called uh, Sweet White, Pure White and Deadly, Pure White and Deadly. And he was one of the first to point out the way in which in the Western diet, uh, sugar had been so accelerated in all aspects of the food chain that arguably could be seen as responsible more than anything else for some of our modern diseases. I suggest, or my reading of, of David Gillespie's book, is that it seems to follow on with that same argument. And he was a man who, in his own experienced experience, proved that sugar in our diet now is a major cause of disease. And I would argue that anyone who's really interested in doing something about their body weight, needs to become vigilant and do what I do, and particularly I'm almost obsessed with it now, looking at labels, looking at foods, and if sugar is called up, knowing how much sugar is called up, and if you like, taking a proactive stance against becoming a sugar addict, and you still see those people, don't you?
0: Uh, there is an addiction factor, I think, isn't it? You sit it, in I'm any sure
1: coffee that... lounge. Yes. I, I'm a, a, an observer of human beings. And I find very, very late in my life, I'm becoming more observant of human beings, as my dear wife will say. She frequently says to me, look, you don't have to uh, look at those people and certainly don't say anything about them. But um, I'm, an obs- I'm an observer of, uh, of people and and... and My my view is, as I said, we're getting bigger, uh, people are eating more sugar, and if you go to a coffee lounge, it's not uncommon to see people putting four to five teaspoonfuls of sugar into a cup of coffee. Mm. Wow! oh, but better than that, look at some of the the drinks that we're obsessed with, without mentioning brand names or popular Mm. names, Mm. Uh, and I'm not saying that a soft drink now and then is going to hurt you, don't get me wrong, but... There are many people out there, and we see them in our supermarkets, that are addicted to certain soft drinks, which, if you look on the, on the fine print, are riddled with really sugar. Really high in sugar, so in a lot of the that's one of the things that yes. we can do, take it on board, become observant as to your sugar intake, retreat from it, and maybe you'll get some improvement in your weight, some step in the right direction against resisting this wretched disease that we're all prone to. To a
0: new RFM's Health Naturally. And Dennis Stewart, we're talking about diabetes. We've had two principles to two principles,
1: help good principles. keep
0: diabetes, type at 2 bay. diabetes at and, and
1: none of these are radical, apart from my first suggestion, which helped me, but I'm not suggesting it for everyone. But um, certainly the uh, being concerned about weight. Let me emphasise that again. Being concerned about weight. Doing something about it, becoming proactive, taking initiatives yourself, and in the context of uh, losing weight, particularly if your doctor has diagnosed you as borderline or insulin resistant, as well as that, we look at the at the need. We look at the need to include exercise, and part and parcel of our modern society is our sedentary way of life. Uh, It has changed dramatically. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here and why I'm saying now that we have to deliberately program exercise into our lifestyle. When I was growing up as a kid in this town, um, no one ever, particularly as a child, got overweight because our lifestyle was such that we were constantly on the move. Um, My grandchildren and even my children at at times are surprised to say that right up until fourth class, when I moved from Jesmond Primary School to Adamstown Primary School, right up until that stage, I never wore shoes and neither did any of the, the boys of, of my age. This is going back a long time. And we never stopped running. In fact, even in the, in the playground. Big playgrounds they were in those days. In the breaks, it was like an athletic field. We ran all the time and and we walked to school. There was no buses. Parents didn't feel uh, that they had to drive their kids to school. We walked and we walked a long way. Mind you, my mother gave me a penny every day so I could buy a strap of licorice on the hill going up to Jasmine Primary School. That was a big thing, but we needed it by the time we got there. On the weekends... We were flat out with our sports. I mean flat out. Except on Saturday afternoon we went to the matinee at the Empire Theatre in Walls End, where they had the necessary necessary Western. And on from, And the newsreel. And the newsreel, but the Western was the most important because on the Sunday you would relive it so that you ran round the bush like a bunch of savages. Now what what am I saying? Instead of that lifestyle What we've got today, and I see it every day as I go into my rooms, are younger people sitting down, looking at their phone, going home, sitting down gaming, or watching the television. What am I saying? I'm saying that in a couple of generations, certainly in my lifestyle, in my lifetime, we've come from an exercise society or an exercised society, such was the lifestyle to a sedentary society which factored in with other societal factors has led to the obesity epidemic, led to the type 2 epidemic, so that now we have to, and I know this, the doctors are encouraging patients to deliberately exercise because as I drive down here um, to do the program from the Hunter Valley, I see a regular cohort of elderly people pounding the pavement, walking regularly, And I suggest this is because they're good doctors have said you've got to start exercising. Exercising, exercising means working against the sedentary society and that in conjunction with uh, observing what we put in our belly by way of sugar in drinks and sugar in food. That's a good step along the way. But there are other factors also.
0: Other factors we may come back to, Dennis, as Greg has rung in. And he's from Elibana. And Greg, your question's about
1: dry eyes. Yes. Hello, Greg. Hey, Dennis. Yeah, I've got um, dry eyes yes. and I've, uh, been to the optometrist and yes. that. They give me some um, drops to put in and yes. so, you know, before uh, bed and during the day. Yes. And, that, and also when I'm driving, yes. um, my eyes, after a while, wearing sunglasses, yes. my eyes get very stingy and okay. the whites go red. Okay. Now, I'm glad that you've been getting professional advice on this because, again, let me emphasise to listeners, any condition uh, that we talk about always needs to be uh, medically assessed, monitored, diagnosed, etc. Your eyes, you only get one shot at your eyes. Now, look, there's a couple of little things. The first thing I'm going to say is very, very controversial and will not, and a lot of things I say are controversial, but this is particularly <laughs> controversial, but I get feedback, even on this program, quite apart from some of my patients who say who say that using uh, in capsules of fish oil or flaxseed oil, both contain very similar principles, that using those in higher dosages, usually up to something like six grams a day, that working with those has brought about a change in their dry eye condition. Now, as I say, there is nothing in mainstream that I am aware of that will confirm that. But one of the good things of being in practice and and listening to people, and they don't lie, um, is, is the amount of times people have said to me, I get benefit by using fish oil or flaxseed oil. Both of those oils are good for us in any case. And the worst thing that can happen in your case, they mightn't work, but they're cheap and they're harmless. I, first of all, I'd go on to those... Keeping in ta- mind, I am taking uh, fish oil, Dennis. Great. I what dose uh, what dose are you taking? Uh, two uh, 1,500 mils in the morning and two fifteen hundred at night. Well, that's a good start. That's a good start. I would persevere with that, because with these things being nutritional supplements, they grow on you. It's not something that you would expect to occur uh, in over diet or weeks or, or months. Work with them, but you know, the thing that that I use myself which I've been absolutely uh, blown away with, uh, manuka, manuka eye drops. Oh, yeah. Um, manuka is is a honey, of course. Yeah, I know that one. And um, I have been so impressed with my own use of them. And and recently I had a, a situation with my left eye uh, where it became very inflamed, and my good GP said, look, you've got a pterygium there, it's very inflamed. I'll give you some prednisone drops to use, which was great. It helped the inflammation abated, but then I started to see it reassert itself. And I didn't want to be using steroid drops ongoingly. So again, listening to one of my patients or clients uh, who mentioned the Manuka eye drops, Manuka eye drops. I, went, I, went, I went to a pharmacy. And the good pharmacies that we have in the Hunter, I love them. They're good people, very knowledgeable yeah. people. They got me some Manuka eye drops, which I use regularly. And so impressed am I with it that I stock that product now in my practice in Hampton. So there are two things: keep working with, yeah, your um, with your fish oils, oil. but yeah. try some manuka eye drops. Yeah, I've been on fish oils for ages. So. Okay, swing over to flaxseed. There's a slight yeah. difference, even though the major principles are the same. The other thing is this: um, there is there is a herb called eyebright. Eyebrite, yeah, I've heard you speak about that now, one. Now, eyebrite is is perhaps, uh, how can I call it, in our camp, the herbal medicine camp, uh, the herb that's always thought of for, how can you call them, eye conditions where there's uh, dryness, redness, inflammatory conditions, watery eyes. And I know it's it's very glib to say that it's it sort of covers a multitude of sins, but it's not a bad herb to think about. It's safe, it's cheap. It comes as an encapsulated preparation. I was just going to ask you whether it was in a capsule, it's, yeah. it, it's in a capsule preparation, easy to take. These days I understand why, why herbal medicine has never been popular. <laughs> but it's capsules you can get by. Look, I'd give that a go. Um, try a bit of flaxseed in, in, instead of the fish, fish oils. Try manuka eye drops yeah. and, and start to use some oral, um, oral um, eye bright capsules. Okay. Do you get the uh, Manuka eye drops from... Um... No, I got them from my pharmacy, and I'm sure your pharmacy would have them or could get them in for you, and they're not expensive. What about the Gavita over Katara? Uh, I only got these from, from the pharmacy, so oh, I, pre- okay. I presume um, they're a pharmacy line, albeit um, the, we we use them or stock them in our practice. Right. Uh...
0: So you might find it there. You might yeah, find it here. Yeah, so you're yeah, right. all the very yeah. best with that. Look,
1: just look around. Well, yeah, I'm sure idea. you'll find them, Greg. Um, yeah. I'm not. Uh, I'm not pushing any particular retail outlet, but um, I'm sure you won't have any trouble getting them. And um, they are bought from. The, um, oh, you get a health food store or, food or pharmacy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much, Dennis. Thanks, Greg.
0: Thanks you, your call, Greg. Um, now, presumably, manuka honey drops, eye drops, are not actually honey no, that you put no, in your oh, no, eyes. No, no, so they've been the, processed the, the, the,
1: the, yeah. the, the eye drops contain a percentage of, of Manuka but there are other substances with it that make yeah. it pourable and it it, w- it could not be used unless it had been passed by the appropriate authorities yes. and that's why that's why I presume the pharmacies uh, stock it because it's essentially a pharmaceutical grade product
0: mm, excellent now, we, um, we've we looked at our three principles. Let's move
1: on a little bit. The the other thing that I'd like to point out, is, and this comes again from, and I read this years and years and years ago. I've got to stop reading, Jane, <laughs> and I've got to stop buying books. But one book I purchased when I was in Sydney, um, great place, Sydney, in those days for for, for books, Dimmick's Arcade, I was almost an honorary citizen of that place, a lot of books there. But there was a book that I purchased, and it was called um, the Carbohydrate Addiction. And again, it was written by a medical practitioner. You know, a lot of people think that complementary medicine or so-called alternative medicine is only sort of um, accepted or practised or promoted by those on the fringe, if you like, queer or strange people like myself. I wrote a paper for, for, for the medical magazines years ago when I was asked to write for them, in which I pointed out that most alternative medicine practices, if you like, have been promoted, used or taught uh, by medical practitioners. And this chap wrote this book on carbohydrate addiction years and years ago in which he said that one of the dominant factors in modern Western society was the way in which carbohydrates and particularly refined carbohydrates had won the day. In other words, we have moved far, far away uh, from the old-fashioned proteins that we were raised on, eggs and meat and chicken and fish, uh, dairy products, and we've moved in the direction, in my opinion, too much pasta, too much white bread, too many cakes, too many doughnuts, donuts for God's sake. They didn't exist when I was growing up. They come from another part of the planet.
0: They did. They came from America. America.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Got to be cautious. Donald runs the show over there. Yeah, exactly. I guess what I'm saying is again, here, listeners, for goodness sake, realise that carbs convert in your body essentially to sugar. Mm. And a carbohydrate addicted society which is encouraged every time we turn our television sets on with these huge, monstrous white buns that are laid with substances. We've got to sort of say, look, enough's enough. And what's the answer? The answer is to eat more protein, vegetable or animal protein, it doesn't matter, more protein, more fresh fruits and vegetables or cooked vegetables and fruits. But that, in my opinion, is the big swing that's needed. Replace a lot of carbs in the diet by protein. And people say, oh, well, you know, meat and fish is expensive. In the scheme of things, if you shop round, it depends upon what protein you're purchasing. And we eat a lot of vegetable protein. Each time I drive back from from the Hunter Valley, I call in to the Adventist food store there. Not that I'm an Adventist, but I love the Adventists. They're good people. And I stock up on some of their vegetable proteins very economical and very good for you. So again, we need to think about changing our eating habits. Don't feed the kids up necessarily too frequently with a lot of spaghetti and white bread products. Get away from that. Healthy protein, healthy fruit, the sorts of tucker that we grew up on when there was not the incidence of carbohydrate addiction that we now have.
0: This is Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart and we've been talking quite a bit today, Dennis, about type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. Time for you to come clean on a, perhaps a couple of, couple of supplements that might help in the fight against diabetes. And
1: these are things that should be seen to be secondary to the lifestyle recommendations that we've been asking patients to or clients, listeners to consider. One of the most important supplements that I've ever dealt with and one that has changed people's drift towards uh, type 2 or, and, and address their insulin resistance is bitter melon. Uh, bitter melon is botanically known as memordica charantia and I have done a lot of work on it and have written a paper on it uh, which I'd happily supplied listeners if they contacted the station we can send it out or put it up on the on the net but it has changed the experience of many people who were borderline or, in fact, diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And if listeners like to Google bitter melon, they will find that, <laughs> colloquially, half the world uses the substance. It's a food. It's a food. Mm-hmm. And Asians, particularly in South Asia, Indians particularly, uh, use it and eat a lot of it. Uh, and it's probably the best way to use it, but Australians probably wouldn't take to it easily.
0: Why is that?
1: Well, it's very bitter Ah. (laughs) and it needs to be cooked, arguably with other things, as people coming from other cultures do. But I was so impressed that I developed a a powdered product of bitter melon, uh, which basically is the bitter melon dehydrated and in teaspoonful dosages of the powder, it has seen many cases where people's uh, blood sugar levels have stabilised and in fact, they've improved themselves quite dramatically by using bitter melon as a substance, as a supplement on a daily basis. If you're using the powder, about five to 10 grams daily. And my opinion is it's better to use bitter melon in its crude form rather than use it in a sophisticated, uh, tableted, or capsule form. That's my bias or my opinion. Seed as a food. Ideally, eat it as a food, but it is better perhaps used if you turn your nose up at it by just using it as a powder. Bitter melon, 5 to 10 uh, grams a day. And as I said to you, I have a good friend of mine who runs a very good pub in the Hunter Valley, and I'm always pleased when he rings me up and says, will you drop in a couple of containers of bitter melon? He's been on it a long time. And when I drop it into him, he inevitably... Um, offers me a schooner of beer, which uh, which is always very welcome, particularly in hot days fair in the Fair trade, eh? So it's a fair <laughs> trade. Now, so that's a good supplement to think of. I'll be quick with the other two. Cinnamon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Cinnamon's going to shortly become a much more important uh, supplement than what it presently is. I've been doing a lot of work on cinnamon, and it now, it's indisputable from the work that is coming from... Uh, medical studies and nutritional studies that cinnamon contains principles which work against blood sugar elevation. And what is coming up in the literature is information that encourages people to use ordinary cinnamon, which is one of the most inexpensive spices you can purchase. Say five grams, a level teaspoonful of cinnamon daily. Again, it has to be taken As a daily medication. If people are going to use these things, they should be seen as not occasional things. If you are addressing a type 2 drift and you want to do something about it, they have to be seen to be used in a routine, a regime. So a teaspoonful of cinnamon in conjunction uh, or taken in addition to uh, the bitter melon are two natural food based principles presented these days in various palatable forms as another way of addressing the problem and thirdly thirdly never overlook the importance of what's called soluble fiber soluble fiber is one of those things that i've mentioned on the program frequently and people only connect soluble fiber perhaps uh, with with constipation with bowel conditions and it's certainly very useful for that but soluble fiber also works against two other sinister conditions, and that is cholesterol elevation and also blood sugar elevation, particularly what are called spikes in blood sugar. So something like oat bran, which is readily available in various forms, is a soluble fibre, which has also a reputation acknowledged by our government authorities as being potentially able to assist in working against type 2 diabetes.
0: So three supplements,
1: easy, three supplements to, get, and, and and, uh, easy to and easy to take. And the, the only final thing that I oh. would say, and then i better go, no, is, right. is the bilberry. Bilberry for the eyes. We started off talking about a, a gentleman who was awarded an honour from the government for uh, his interest in diabetes, and I think it was because he was interested in diabetes as a cause of blindness. Well, bilberry is one of those supplements that I esteem as being particularly useful for diabetics and particularly useful in working against diabetic retinopathy and peripheral vascular disease, two conditions that diabetics uh, suffer from. And so this, in my opinion, could apply across the board to those that are diagnosed with it or those that are moving towards it. Remarkable supplement is bilberry. I love the herb. We could talk about it all day, had a lot to do in introducing it into this country, and I would argue strongly that uh, a lady owes her foot, although the lady's probably dead now. This goes back probably many, many years. The lady owes her foot, a serious diabetic with uh, an ulcer on the ball of her foot, which was uh, managed not getting anywhere. She was suggested by her doctor and a surgeon to have the foot off. Uh, She was reluctant to do that. We uh, Many years ago, we put the lady onto concentrated doses of bilberry, this diabetic lady, and she dressed it with honey ointment. She saved a foot.
0: Oh, magic. That's yeah, a true story. It's a great story. Yeah, it's a great story. Yeah. So bilberry, though, if you go out and pick them off the
1: bush... Mm-hmm. Um... Okay, look, there is some benefit in that, but bilberry contains a bracket of actives known as anthocyanidins. And so what they've done is actually take the taken the bilberry and turned it into, if you like a pharmaceutical preparation where that active has been accelerated dramatically. So you're getting something like 25% of anthocyanidins in a, uh, in a in a tablet or capsule of bilberry, which in my opinion is a better and more assured way of addressing a medical problem.
0: And uh, thank you very much to our callers, not all of whom we've spoken to on air. Um, we've heard about... Uh, from one of our listeners who, uh, when her kids come home from school, she puts a platter with sliced cucumber and fruits and uses a lot of veggies for her magic, kids' magic. food I'm, I'm and I'm glad legumes. she's
1: mentioned legumes. And legumes. We'll talk about legumes one day. Yes, yeah, They're remarkable good. things. They're remarkable things.
0: So Health Naturally, back next Friday.
1: Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle.